Good morning, podcast, and welcome to a new episode. My name is Piotr Lambert. I am here, your host, and today with me, I have a very talented guest, and his name is Farley. Okay. <laughs> Ahmed is a travel photographer and videographer. He's had several films awarded through different competitions. We'll get into that a little bit. He's worked with some of the best brands in the world that you may know. We're going from luxury to cars. And before that, you were actually a fashion photographer for a little bit. So there's a lot to unpack here in this episode. And I really want to get to actually get into some of the stories, how you got there and what's happening now. We've traveled, I think it's the second big trip we do together. And uh, there's always something to be learned uh, from either working with you or just seeing you work. That's always a pleasure. So Ahmed, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for the intro. Just for the record, not so much luxury in cars. <laughs> That's like the well, I mean, two types of is true. Lexus is one of my main partners, I guess, but mostly adventure travel. Yeah, I, I think that's what people know you the most for. Yeah. But I do see those car shots and I'm like, ooh, this looks good. I will say it is a fun little side thing. And it is fun to pursue new types of photography like that because I just got into that pretty recently. But really? It seemed like it's something you did for a long time, no? Not really. Like, I had some car photos that I had taken yeah. a while ago, and I kind of used those random car photos that I had taken as kind of a media kit yeah. to pitch to Lexus because I wanted to buy a 4Runner, so I pitched to Toyota. Uh, I was, like, about to buy one, and I was like, why don't I just see if Toyota wants to work with me? So my friend works with Toyota, and he gave me a contact, so I emailed them, and they were like, oh, we don't have any ambassador spots with Toyota left, but we have them with Lexus and Toyota owns Lexus. Mm. So I was like, oh, mm. like, oh Lex- that, that sounds terrible. <laughs> oh no, not a Lexus. And so they got me set up with a Lexus and then in exchange for photos of the car, which is a pretty sweet deal. So I've just been diving into automotive photography more and more. And since I have to, I have monthly deliverables for them, I kind of yeah. have to constantly be coming up with new concepts. So I don't just give them the same photos over and over again. I just yeah. have to keep experimenting and trying new things with car photography and kind of seeing like like what other car companies are doing for their photos and yeah. try and figure out how I can recreate them mm-hmm. with no budget by myself <laughs> and like maybe a driver or something, which has been pretty fun because it's actually easier than you think to make a really high budget looking image mm-hmm. for just you and your camera really? and a polarizer. Oh, like downtown or something. There's already a secret polarizer. Polarizer and a whole bunch of editing. (laughs) And yeah, I think the editing plays a big role for that. Yeah. How did that come about? Do you feel like travel photography, and we'll get into how you get into that, but do you feel like travel photography helps for the car photography? Every type of photography helps in different ways because it's all about just learning how to use your camera. And if you know how to use your camera well enough, you know how to work with light well enough, you're going to be able to come up with a good car photo after a bit of practice, just because yeah. you know how to work with the subject, work with light composition. Yeah. And it all is like in the end, it's all fundamentally the same, but yeah, it's something that takes a bit of practice, but. Interesting. Well, let's, let's dig into the um, travel photography, which you're known for. You actually released a few NFTs around that of art, which did really well. So. We'll link to everything in the show notes if you guys want to check out Emmett's work. How did travel photography come about and what was first, photography or travel? Definitely photography. 
So I first picked up a camera in probably grade seven. So that's like 12 or 13 years old in Canada. And I was bored sitting around the house one day and my mom gave me her camera. She was like, go outside and take photos. And so I was like, okay. So I went outside and started taking some photos of just horrible photos of like grass, tree bark, <laughs> some leaves. Beautiful. And then I posted them all on Facebook and I got this one comment from some guy that I didn't really know, but I kind of knew him. And he's like, these are awesome, man. Like, keep going. I was like, oh, that was kind of cool. I'll keep taking some photos. And then kept taking photos, turned into macro photography. You know, just I'd be finding bugs in the garden and shooting those. And eventually that kind of morphed into me taking photos of my friends and coming up with like conceptual portrait ideas. So we would like get my friend in a dress and put her in a lake or something in the freezing cold in like January in Vancouver and just take some mediocre photos. But it was all part of the process of learning how to do all that kind of stuff. And then that eventually I took photos with one of my friends who was a professional model. Yeah. We were in high school together. This was probably grade 12. So final year of high school. And she, after school one day, we took photos. She really liked them. So she sent them to her agency mm -hmm. and her agency liked them. So they hired me for some test shoots and Ooh. that kind of thing. And so I started taking photos for fashion stuff and started doing more editorial work and that kind of thing. And started working with a lot of the agencies in Vancouver. Yeah. And then... How old were you then? I was... 17 turning 18 whoa I was about 18 years old so i did that when i was 17 18 and then into 19 and it was fun because you could come up with all these different creative ideas it kind of felt like a movie set you're like the director but yeah. you're also you're the photographer and you have your like hair and makeup stylist model lighting and maybe you'll have an art director or something yeah which kind of felt like a movie set to me. And I love making movies. And I was actually doing that before I was taking photos. And so that was kind of felt like a short version of making a movie. Mm -hmm. You come up with this whole set and this whole theme of, for example, one shoot we did, we had a, a rowboat and we filled it with all this old nautical ropes and giant mm. pulleys. And we had this guy, it was for kind of like Sperry or something like a nautical fashion brand. Okay. Like a cable knit sweater or something. And that kind of thing. And, but it was like high fashion still. Yeah. And so we just created this whole theme. We had like sunrise on this lake with mist and it was super cool to just come up with this whole set in the middle of the lake and just turn this creative idea into a reality. And I think that also helped me practice a lot coming from a pre-production idea to actually fulfilling the idea. Yeah. And then from there, after about two and a half years doing that, I was kind of like, there's a lot of big personalities in fashion. As I started to take it more seriously and get bigger with it, like I went down to LA and shot with some people down there, started doing shoots for guests and a couple other companies like that. It kind of was like, oh boy, I like, there's so many like egos yeah, in fashion. And a lot of just like, ego fight. yeah, a lot of ego fight. Everyone's just trying to size up the next person. And I had started, I probably had 20,000 followers at this yeah. point for just from posting portrait fashion stuff. And so like models would come to the shoot and just be waiting for me to tag them in their post mm. or in my stories or something. And it just, I was like, okay, like, why am I doing this? So I've, 
basically saved up four or five thousand dollars yeah and then went backpacking Ooh. so i was like screw it i went to mexico mm -hmm. to oaxaca puerto escondido kind of down that the west coast and then to the other side to like cancun and holbosh island a couple mm -hmm. other spots mexico city and then i did that for i was in mexico for two and a half months ran out of money flew home and then took photos in a glass tile factory and that's that's quite a change yeah and basically not, not too much ego yeah because <laughs> yeah, pretty dry but they actually helped me buy my like 5d mark four so i was shooting on 6d before that and so shooting there i basically traded all the work i did shooting there for a new camera and then obviously a bit of money as well so i could keep traveling so i went back to mexico and then did two more months in mexico because it was i guess all i knew and it was easy and i knew how to yeah. travel there and backpack and the hostels were fun and then my parents for christmas they bought me a plane ticket to anywhere in the world. Wow. So they're like anywhere, anywhere. Well, I didn't want to make them go broke. Yeah. However, I did choose for them to buy the most expensive flight in my journey, which was from Mexico to Bali. Wow. So I flew from Mexico to LA to Bali and then did four months in Bali. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where everything started with the adventure travel stuff. So that's where I met like George Hammond, Connor McCann, and a couple other guys down there. Yeah, we had Jordan on the podcast also. Sweet, yeah. So Jordan and I kind of had started talking through Instagram when we had probably 5,000 followers. And we just started taking photos. I was taking almost all portraits, but started to get into landscape travel stuff. Jordan was also the same, just starting to get into travel landscape stuff. And then we just met in Bali and started backpacking together for like four and a half months. And that was kind of a whole mindset shift for me because it was like, oh, I'm not backpacking with backpackers anymore. I'm backpacking with another photographer. Mm. So we both want to get up for sunrise. Yeah. We both understand that that's the best light or we both want to get to these photo spots. Whereas yeah. when you're with backpackers, they're like, why would I wake up at Let's four? Let's go drink and, and, and then yeah. wake up at 10. Exactly. So Jordan and I were on the same wavelength where we were like, we want to actually get to the sunrise spot and actually take the photos. And so we started getting way better photos because we were also learning off each other. Yeah. Like bouncing ideas with each other and teaching each other little things in Photoshop, stuff like that. And then we kind of just like met up with other people and that kind of just momentum just kept rolling. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, it taught me to... Like at the time, it was right when Beautiful Destinations put out their whole campaign for the world's greatest job. Oh, oh yeah, I remember. Yes. And so Jordan and I were both like, that would be so sick if we were part yeah. of the BD team and it looked like the coolest thing ever. And so we were just trying our hardest to like get noticed by it. They were so popular back then. I remember. Yeah, they were like, it's dude, the thing you yeah. wanted to be posted on. Yeah. And so I remember Jordan went on a trip with them. And I think he started to kind of realize like, oh man, that's like, they work you hard, <laughs> beautiful destinations. And so we, yeah, we were just like really focused on that kind of thing. And I think what we ended up learning was like, looking back on that yeah. is growing with your peers is way better than trying to grow with your idols. Yeah. So like, let's say 
we did start working for beautiful destinations, yeah. I think we'd be way further behind than if we just kept trying to work on our own and try and get there ourselves. Because what we didn't know at the time was that we were really pushing for, like, we were actually learning how to do this whole thing on our own. We're trying to get to a point where they would notice us. But mm. in reality, we just got to a point where we were able to fully sustain a living doing exactly what <laughs> we would have been doing with BD, yeah. but on our own terms, mm -hmm. which is ultimately way better. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that was a really cool thing looking back on that. It's cool that we were able to do that. Like after Bali, we went to Europe and road tripped Europe together for a couple months in a van. And then we flew to Japan right after that and did Japan for a month. And the whole time we were like just growing together at exactly the same pace. Like we hit a hundred thousand followers on the same day. Wow. <laughs> we're just like, beer tonight, like celebration time. And so, sorry to interrupt. Did you guys start in making any money by that point in order to like, continue traveling? All the jobs we were doing yeah. basically only paid for the trips. Okay. So this is 2017. Yeah. And everything that we would make would just be funneled straight back into travel. Okay. Or it would just be free trips. So mm -hmm. for example, the road trip through Europe, the van company gave us the van in exchange okay. for photos and story shout outs and yeah. stuff. And so we did that. And then on the side, I was also taking photos for Sackcloth and Ashes, their blanket company. Mm -hmm. And so that helped to fund in some way. To run with the blanket? Yeah. So I had to film. Basically, I would carry a different blanket around with me on each trip. I think in Europe, we had six or seven blankets <laughs> because they wanted a video with their blanket. So like, I think it was a one minute video yeah. in each country mm -hmm. that we were going to. And they would pay me like, I think it was 2000 bucks or something yeah. per video. And at the time that was like, hell yeah, like yeah. 2000 bucks. And I can just bang out these videos and we're in Europe. So you can hit a different country like yeah. a week. And so we just started traveling around like that. I was filming a ton of little videos for sackcloth and that really helped fund that whole mm. like chunk of time in my career basically yeah. was having sackcloth support me like that. Cause they were like my very first brand deal. And then it kind of just started snowballing. So like the people that you meet when you travel and start putting yourself out there and posting and you start getting more connections, that kind of snowballs like, yeah. Oh, I'm in Japan this month. And then while I'm in Japan, this company reaches out to me and then they want me to come to Hawaii next. And I have to figure out like, oh, they can pay for my flight to Hawaii and then yeah. the return to get to Vancouver or something. So I yeah. can kind of get home like that. So it kind of became a game like that. It still is like that. Yeah. Just trying to figure out how you can get around the world for free. And it was all just like portfolio building and just really grinding to just try and make it and make more money and to be able to continuously travel. And so that was like, I was home maybe a month, a year mm -hmm. and just traveling, taking so many photos, making so many videos. And I think if I wasn't more passionate about it, I would have completely burnt out. Yeah. And if I was older, I would have burnt out as well. I think. Interesting. I was only think, like so. 19. Oh. It's, so it was just so easy to just, yeah. like my body was invincible. I could just yeah. go, sit go on a go, plane go. forever and then hike a mountain immediately after. <laughs> Like nothing would happen to me, but yeah, it was just like unlimited energy, basically. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. What was a turning point for you when you're like, this is really working and this is a career? Because I imagine yeah. there's that feeling of 
This could, yeah, too so good I, to be true. And then yeah. you're like, well, maybe we're bigger than we think. So basically when I got home from Mexico that first yeah. time, when I worked before I worked in the glass tile factory, taking photos, I, so I wanted to go to film school Yeah, out of high school. Didn't get accepted into any film schools. <laughs> and then, well, the ones that I wanted to get into were like way too expensive to try right. and get into. It was all the ones in the States. So I took a gap year, went mm -hmm. to Mexico in my gap year. And I kind of had to make a decision. Like, do I use like any of the scholarship money that I had in school yeah. and put it towards university? And cause you can only defer it one year or something. Okay. So I deferred it the year and I was like, okay, I have to make a decision. Do I go to university, go to film school, or do I keep pursuing traveling and photography? which really seemed like the bad idea. Yeah. It was like, I don't want to be broke for my entire life, but this is also really fun. But I had never traveled before. I yeah. had only gone to Mexico, hadn't yeah. met any other photographers. And then my mom says to me, do what you love and eventually the money will come. So like, why is, I'll give that a go, see what happens. <laughs> so I did. And then it took probably three years to, for any actual money to start coming in, like mm -hmm. good money. So I think the very first job that I got that was like, this is actually good enough money to, to yeah. survive beyond just putting everything back into backpacking. Yeah. So I shot the campaign for the Galaxy S4, I think it was mm -hmm. at the time. So Samsung, I think they didn't tell me this, but I think their main photographer must have dropped out or something. Okay. Because they reached out to me like a week before this massive multi-million dollar campaign for their phone. <laughs> and so I was in Turkey in some cave in Cappadocia or something. And they were like emailing me asking for a treatment and all these things. I'm like, what the hell is a treatment? Like I'd never done any of this before. I'm like trying to talk to my mom to see if she can send it to them because I don't have good enough Wi-Fi in this freaking cave in Turkey. I'm like, can you help me do this? And so... Samsung flew me to Spain to shoot this thing. It was in Spain and Portugal. And the whole campaign was shot on the Galaxy S4. Mm -hmm. And so they flew me in. It was like a kind of a James Bond style movie where wow. I landed, get out of the airport, get picked up in a blacked out Mercedes. Like no one talks to me. They're just like holding a sign that says Emmett Sparling or something. They open the <laughs> black Mercedes door, I get inside. And you, I like what? get driven to this five-star hotel. They're like, Mr. Sparling, just hand me the room keys. Don't even need to check in. Take me upstairs. There's just an envelope with my name on it filled with like a thousand euros in cash. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, I'm a secret agent now, I guess. Amazing. Yeah. And then was there a new ID also? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A new passport. <laughs> and so that job was probably a week and a half of mm -hmm. shooting every single day with this horrible phone <laughs> that was like the camera was decent but it was the beta version so oh, they were still like, programming the camera while i was using it so they had this head technician there i'd be shooting like oh there's grain in this top corner hand on the phone he hands me a new phone 10 minutes later that he had tweaked i wasn't allowed to put the phone in my pocket ever i had to hand it to someone who would put it in like a faraday cage type yeah. bag and then just like seal it so no one the phone couldn't be leaked to anyone and it was all very top secret. Were you shooting on your own? No. So I had like, there was a hair and makeup van. There was a catering van. There was a costumes van. Like 
full production size vans. Was there a talent also? Yeah, there's talent. And I'm like, I'm using this talent as a silhouette way in the distance of this landscape photo. They don't need to be hair and makeup and yeah. costume. <laughs> like they can wear anything. It'll be fine. But I think what it was like was because the head executives of Samsung were there. Yeah. And they were the ones who were paying for the whole shoot. And so the agency that they had hired in Spain wanted to show the Samsung executives that they were spending the money that they'd given them. And so they just went all out and spent a ton of money on these shoots. Like one day we had, they rented out an entire amusement park. So when I was one in Barcelona that was like above the whole city, they rented the whole place out. They got like 400 extras dressed in just basic clothing with no logos or anything to just fill the entire place. And we were on merry-go-rounds and everything, taking all these photos with the phone. And then we didn't use a single photo from that shoot in the final selection. That's good. We probably spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on that whole shoot just on that day. Yeah. Ridiculous. And then like all the Samsung executives were like going around in the merry-go-rounds and like really? having the best time ever. That's <laughs> hilarious. That's something that's always like, surprising is to see how much budget they actually have yeah. versus when they reach out to you and they're like, you do that for 2K. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. <laughs> you, you, you're ready to hire someone Take me in a black limo to yeah. my hotel so you can take a bus, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that job kind of opened my eyes to like, oh, there is real money in this industry. Yeah. I could do this. And that job also paid for pretty much nine months of travel after mm. that. Because I still paid. just put everything right back into yeah. traveling. Didn't save a single penny of that job. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. in a way, it's like at that age, you save to travel anyway. I, I, I would, that. I used to save yeah. to travel. So that was still like, I see it as it was me investing in my future, yeah. which was to keep traveling, yeah. build that portfolio more. Because then later, so that was at the very end of 2018, then in 2019, that's when things started to pick up a bit mm -hmm. more and I started getting more like sizable jobs. So 2019 was basically make as many connections as possible, yeah. travel with as many different people as possible, do as many jobs as you can possibly fit in and just work your ass off. That was what I was doing all of 2019. Yeah. And it's a pretty good way to burn yourself out. Just like travel with the most random people that you don't get along with and just see who you like. <laughs> yeah. That whole thing. It's important to do, but sounds like when to say throw ideas on the wall and see which ones stick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I just did that for pretty much all of 2019 just to see what happened. And it went well. It was fun, but definitely not a sustainable way to work or travel. Mm -hmm. oh, I guess, no, that, that would be COVID. I think the, I'm talking about 2018. Yeah. Or at least half of 2018 was kind of like that. And then... 2019, I started to figure out a little bit better who yeah. I like to travel with. It's all kind of mixed in yeah. year by year. But somewhere in 2019, I started to slow down a bit more and was like, I'm only going to travel with these 10 people. Okay. And just try and stick to that crew. We work really well together. We know how each other operates and can travel. So yeah. it just makes life way easier. And then by doing that, you can also start coming up with more creative concepts for jobs and start pitching better things and you just end up working way better. You can kind of slow down a bit. You don't have to be in a country for three days and then just keep bouncing around like that. Yeah. It's more just like, let's spend a month here and mm -hmm. actually make something really meaningful or really cool. So I started doing that a little bit more. I was living in Bali at the time. So I kind of had a home base there with the whole crew of people around that I was 
just traveling mm-hmm. with and coming up with cool ideas and stuff. And then 2020 came along and COVID happened and everything started to shut down. <laughs> but I think that whole mindset of just stick to the people that you know you work yeah. really well with was really helpful in that stage of my career because it helped me not burn out because if I had kept traveling like I, w- I was prior to that, it would have been a lot more challenging to keep that sustainable. Especially when you travel, you spend a lot of time with people. Mm-hmm. So you better get along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For anyone listening, if you've not tried, just travel with people that where it's slightly off. Yeah. Not fully. Just a like, little bit. Where you get along for the first three or four days. And then after like two weeks, you're like, I hate everything about you. (laughs) Even though you're super nice and chill, mostly, I cannot be with you for long periods of time. Like that kind of thing is difficult. Mm -hmm. And that's something I remember when I met, when we met in 2020 in in Polynesia. So that was the first time we interacted. Actually, guys, we're in Polynesia right now Mm -hmm. at the end of our trip of like two weeks plus and we're on a cruise ship and like in remote islands and beautiful. But I remember specifically even what I, I think I shared that with you, or at least I talked to Chelsea. It was the first time I met you at Chelsea in real life. But I remember after it was like so easy to travel with those guys. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they're ready to wake up at four, you know, to go shoot. No one's ever complaining about it. You know, like literally no one was ever yeah. complaining. And then uh, ready to shoot at night also if needed. And and I think just having that flexibility and going with things is fairly rare. And the other thing I would throw in there is people that don't drink very much. Drink also, alcohol is the biggest way to just burn yourself out when you're traveling and trying to shoot at the same point. time. Yeah. Like if you were to have even just like a beer or two every night, yeah, it's just so, like eventually that... Just, just makes your sleep work. Yeah. It just makes everything just start yeah. to go downhill. And I think like it's obviously fun sometimes, but yeah. doing that while you're traveling and working is just the easiest way to kind of self-sabotage. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. I, I remember like throwing a lot of days out because of, of that when I was very young. But I went <laughs> I was, as a photographer. When I was living in Bali, that was like, oh, there goes a whole month of my time. <laughs> <laughs> just partying. <laughs> How did you get into the filmmaking part? Because you did like really cool shorts uh, with Chelsea when we were there. I mean, you guys created three shorts. I was a boom mic on one. So proud of my well done. boom mic. Thanks for it. I'm joking. Uh, but... You you might have seen if you're listening the the behind the scenes of uh, even when you were shooting and, and like all the photos we got. But I remember you too had such a precision in what you want to shoot uh, and a laser focus. You know, like this is the exact shot we want. This is how we're gonna get it. How did you arrive to that point? Because I imagine it wasn't. If you're doing photography, it's also very different from filmmaking. So how did the filmmaking mm-hmm. come? So I started making films before I got into photography. Okay. Um, that was first. That's a, that was first. Up. But like at the same time, the films I was making were just horrible. They were I like, feel like but obviously they're horrible. It's like yeah. you're starting out. So I started because every year my whole family at Christmas time would do an activity of some kind. Mm-hmm. And so one year this activity that we did was make a stop motion film out okay. of Lego and like plasticine or something and, yeah and my uncle is in the film industry so he kind of knew how to edit it all together so we made this short film just stop motion i was like oh this is pretty sweet yeah i was like maybe 
10 or something. And then I just got our family point and shoot, went out with some friends, made this little action movie thing. I could probably find a link for it. It's oh, really? We, we get open this. We're holding <laughs> that. And that was kind of just like my first step into yeah. making these little home videos and just yeah. funny action movie things. And I really enjoyed doing that. And then in grade nine at the middle school that I was at, when you're, so grade nine was the final year of the middle school. And in your final year there, you get to choose a project to do for the full year. It was okay. called Masterworks. And so you end up spending the whole year focusing on this one project. And I chose to make a movie for that. Mm. And so they bring in like external mentors to help you. And I had this. So nice. Yeah. So I had these two mentors that were like really established in the film industry, um, but they lived on Bowen Island yeah. is where I was living. And they kind of helped me along with it. And I ended up making a short called Between the Lines. And it's set in World War One, And it's like in the trenches. And we went and dug a trench in this like muddy field on Bowen. Really? Got a fog machine and just smoked out the whole place. And it like, it actually looks pretty sick. We we're shooting on a like Canon T4i. And all the costumes were from Value Village. The helmets were paper mache. And... It was very run and gun, but it honestly looks quite good for. It must have taught me I, so much because yeah, you have a year to prepare. You can yeah. maybe make your costume. I was watching some of the behind the scenes of making it. Yeah, there's all this video of me trying to direct it. Yeah, I am the most clueless person on earth. Looking back on it, I'm like, holy crap! I was a horrible director, but obviously I was in grade nine. Yeah, but I think that definitely taught me a ton of how to make some kind of a short film. Like for example, when I first started making that, I was like creating all these dialogue scenes between the characters and the soldiers. And then once you start making it, you realize creating outdoor dialogue scenes with like five characters is so hard to do. <laughs> just cut it down. So just cut it down. There's no dialogue in the whole thing. And then just trying to tell a story with no dialogue and everything is a much more realistic thing. So we did that. <laughs> and then from there, I went to high school and then in high school. So it was in grade 11. Well, I'd made a film in grade 10 that was fun. It was called Somnium. It was just kind of an experimental film that was set mm -hmm. in evil times. My friend Shane and I made it in a week and just ran around the island with my friend Rachel, who was dressed in medieval armor and has a sword. And she's basically trying to find the heart of the earth. Mm. It was just some experimental film, but it looked really good and it was really fun to make. And so in grade 11, I was like, okay, I want to do another film like that. What's a cool story I could tell? And so this story, this is the one about my dad, yeah. Brain Maker. So basically the day after my parents announced they were pregnant with me, my yeah. dad had a seizure and was diagnosed with an inoperable malignant brain tumor. Whoa. And so how he coped with that was he imagined he was an astronaut. So this film follows that story and it's half set in space in his imagination and then half in reality in mm. the hospital. And so now he's 23 years clean of cancer, 24 yeah. years clean of cancer. And he basically just put himself in this mindset of, for example, he saw the, the parallels between being an astronaut and being a cancer patient. Yeah. And they're both at the pinnacle of human knowledge and achievement, like yeah. everything that 
the people around you are trying to do is to keep you alive and all human knowledge is trying to keep you alive in the various aspects. Yeah. And then it's also the parallel of like, you're getting needles poked in you all day, tests run on you. Yeah. The main difference is that an astronaut has the mindset of Mm -hmm. hell yeah, let's do this. Let's go to the moon. Whereas the cancer patient feels like he's going to die or he's got it terrified. Well, the astronaut actually has a way lower chance of survival too. Like it's true. So the odds are not in the astronaut's favor yet. Their mindset is confident, is excited, all this stuff. So my dad put himself in that mindset of hell yeah, let's, let's go to the moon. Okay. Even though he was dying of brain cancer. And so the film follows that story. And so that was a pretty ambitious story to tell in grade 11, <laughs> like I imagine as a third film ever made, but we actually, we crowdfunded $20,000 for it. Wow. Which was huge, but it also disappeared really quickly. But at the same time, that basically allowed us to do what we did. And like, for example, we built a full-size Mercury space capsule in my backyard, which actually looked pretty sick. We built a full control panel that all the buttons lit up. We like soldered the whole thing. Really? Yeah. Wow. We had all the dials. Yeah, my friends got it in Calgary. Wow. And then we, like NASA has all its spaceship blueprints royalty-free online yeah so we just downloaded the mercury spacecraft blueprint and then just made it to the exact measurements that the actual spacecraft is we just built a frame out of wood and then put like car floor mats over the whole thing aluminum panels and then we cut out a window and had rivets and everything and then it was kind of a cross section so it was like basically the spaceship cut in half so we could Mm -hmm. shoot inside yeah half of it and we rented a spacesuit and we rented a whole bunch of hospital equipment. And then we turned my old middle school into a hospital. Wow. That had the like linoleum. And they were cool with that? Yeah, it was summertime. So oh. we were shooting in the summer. And the headmaster of my middle school was one of my advisors on the yeah. film that I did in grade nine. Yeah. So he was all, he was stoked on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you're still making movies. Let's go. Maybe it's good. So he let us shoot in there for like a month in the summer. Yeah. Um, and then we had like, there's a crew of probably 20 people of friends and family that I just like gathered and like, you come out and like, I need someone to hold a boom pole. <laughs> like, so that was really cool. It turned out really well. I would like, if you want to watch it, yeah, it kind of gets slow in the middle. There's tons I would change because I was yeah. like 17 when I was making it. Yeah, yeah. But the last, I'd say seven minutes of the film is really good. We'll we'll link it below so we can watch. Yeah. So it's about a 20 minute long film. And then I think I was 16 or 17 when we finished that. I was in grade 12, which meant that I was still young enough to enter it in student film festivals, like high school festivals. Mm. And it destroyed, like (laughs) like, every festival we put it in, it won every single award. Oh my God. I remember I went to the BC Student Film Festival. And they started announcing the awards and they announced like Emma Sparling, Brainmaker. They bring me up and they just hand me a box and tell me to sit at the front. And then like 10 more trophies. Oh <laughs> my like, God. And they're like these big Oscar style trophies and they're just loading up this box. I'm just sitting there. <laughs> Everyone else in the theater is just like, <laughs> we hate it. How did it feel at that moment for you? It's like, that was cool because it was like, oh, all this hard work I put in 
actually resonated with people. Mm. And I think that's definitely a driving force in the stuff that I create is like, yes, I'm doing it because I love to do it. But the whole other aspect that I love about it is showing people mm. the stuff that I make. Yeah. And just seeing their reaction or seeing how it affects them positively, hopefully. Positively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, try to yeah. creepy movies yet. No. And so I think that was definitely one of the biggest film projects I'd ever done. I think it still is probably the biggest film I've ever done because it was 20 minutes long. Yeah. It took a whole month to shoot and there's complex dialogue. It wasn't set in some beautiful travel destination. It yeah. was like actual movie sets that we had to build and create a hospital environment or create like a whole spaceship. So that was something that was pretty challenging. And so I basically put that whole side of what I love doing on hold just because I'm like, that was a ton of work. I want to go travel and start getting more into photography. So mm -hmm. that's when I started doing more photography and focusing on that just because it was a lot easier to do and it was a lot of fun. And I pretty much just enjoyed it just as much. And then I had gained skills with a camera to be able to work with video. I knew how to edit. So yeah. I was able to travel and take travel videos now yeah. as well. So that's kind of how that all started. And then I basically photography took over for a couple of years. And then I started doing more travel video stuff recently. And then I think the beginning of 2020, or even 2021 is kind of when I started getting more into the short films again. Yeah. And so this year, my goal is to make six short films and I want to just dive more into the fictional mm -hmm. concepts and just like come up with these fictional stories that have no real world anchoring. Yeah. It's more just like these cool stories that I want to tell that yeah. are just fun to make and kind of go down that path a bit more. This is something that strikes me because those projects are so long that like you said one month to shoot, building everything, shooting, then obviously like Brainmaker, I think editing. Brainmaker was two years start to finish. Would you still nowadays, now you have like more popularity with the photography and it works and you make an income, all that, would you, would you take that time? Like, would you do that again? I think it depends on the project. I probably wouldn't do a 20 minute film right now. Okay. 20 minutes is like, that takes a while to make. Yeah. Especially for like a fictional thing. Like, yeah, if you're building from, yeah, and that's like, whereas like an adventure film where you're yeah. documenting, it's a lot easier to hit that 20 minute mark. Yeah. But yeah. Try a vlog and you, like, yeah, a vlog is like, you can hit 20 minutes easy. But yeah, so creating a fictional film that hits 20 minutes and keeps the audience entertained for the full yeah. 20 minutes is really hard to do. So I've started just doing that, but on a more micro scale. So I've tried to just really master the three to four minute mark. Okay. And just try and really nail keeping someone fully glued to the screen for three minutes mm -hmm. and just trying to tell a really complex or really meaningful story in three minutes mm -hmm. and try and create an emotion in a three minute window. And I, I think, think that that's key. Personally, I, yeah, this is a lot of travel videos. I'm like, meh, whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I, the reason I got into more of the storytelling side and the yeah. creating these fictional films and stuff was because travel videos get so repetitive. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, here, here we go. go. We're in here. We, we're in <laughs> Here we go. So, yeah, I think creating these fictional stories was, was definitely, if, 
feels more fulfilling. Yeah. Doing that kind of thing just cause it's fun. Like sure. the next, so after Norway, which is going to be more an adventure style film, yeah. I'm going to go to Oman and I'm going to film a medieval comedy. Well, or at least I'm going to try to. <laughs> so me, Josiah Gordon, Carl Shakur, Connor McCann, we're going to go to Oman and there's this market that we found last time we were there yeah. that sells full suits of armor. Yeah. Oh, wow. We're going to buy a full suit of armor and we're going to put Josiah in this full suit of armor and we're going to go out to the desert and we're going to film a comedy about these two explorers that are looking for like the, I forget what the treasure is called, but they're looking for treasure. Yeah, they're looking for treasure out in the desert and they basically, so they find it on this map, they start digging and then they realize it's protected by this, the desert night. And so the desert night comes out of the sand and climbs out. And so we're just going to bury Josiah in the sand and he's going to climb out in a full suit of armor. And then it turns into like, he takes his helmet off. He's just coughing up sand. He's like, oh God, like I've been here for like 700 years. Like he's just like, it just completely goes downhill from there. And it's going to be hilarious because Josiah is like this tall, skinny dude. And we're going to get a suit of armor that's way too big for him. And he's just going to like, like, it'll be hilarious just seeing it spiral from there. But we've written the whole script for it. Oh, that's beautiful. We've got everything lined up and we're going to try and shoot it in probably beginning of May. Josiah is hilarious and Carl's hilarious. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. So that's the next fictional film that I'm going to do. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I love how you actually take the time to do those. And that's something that, well, personally in, in my own, I do YouTube videos, like mm-hmm. in case no one knew, but, <laughs> but it takes a certain mind space. But the moment you're trying to create something crafted from A to Z is really actually a different mm-hmm. way of thinking and you kind of have to put everything aside at least for me yeah I've, even if it's a 30 second ad which sounds ridiculous but even just doing that i had to put everything aside because i don't have the bandwidth in a way to yeah exactly like this and i want to get the shot and i want to get the bts at the same time it's just not yeah. possible i think what really helps something that i've really noticed and learned pretty early on i think is don't try and do everything yourself. Yeah. Like delegate and it makes your life so much easier. So like take on the director role if that's what you want to do. Yeah. Don't take on director, cinematographer, writer. Yeah. Even though that is pretty much everything I do. Yeah. Like it's kind of like depending on the scale of the project, you want yeah. to just delegate as much as you possibly can. So mm-hmm. for example, the desert night shoot, I'll probably be acting in it just because. Yeah. And then Connor is probably going to be filming. Yeah. Carl's probably going to be acting in it and we'll have someone else shooting behind the scenes. Yeah. So we're not going to be trying to do everything at once. So it'll be a lot easier in that sense. But yeah, I think that's something that I see a lot of people struggling with is yeah. trying to do every single thing and because they want to do everything, yeah. which is fun. And like doing everything is important to learn, but at the same time, your life is going to be so much easier if you just get a crew of people to help you. And it sounds like through your own experiences, you've always had that support or like had help in a way or another with from, I mean, mm-hmm. from the first one, you said like 20 people got in, the school was helping in a way, just yeah. providing it. I mean, and you're, 
you were like asking at one point, someone had to add somewhere. I learned early on in high school, suck up to your teachers just a little bit. <laughs> Get them to like you because then you yeah. can pull out that card later on. It's like, uh, hey, you want to be in my movie? <laughs> like my art teacher, for example, my high school art teacher played my mom in the Brain Maker film. Mm. She like took a month off her summer vacation to be in the film. That's perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, then my old English teacher was played my dad in the film. I just like oh, wow. full, pulled all the strings from high school. It was great. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I think, I mean, in high school, there's a lot of resources and the teachers are, I think, they're passionate at the beginning of the career. So if you can reignite a little bit that passion about like, oh my God, some kids want to do stuff. Yeah, I think if teachers see that their student is passionate about something and really wants the teacher to be involved, then I think they really like it also. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't want to take up too much time because we're going to be in the dark in in, within 15 minutes. (laughs) But what kind of advice would you give to someone who is older? Not younger, because I think your story is yeah. a good example of, but like if someone's older, from your point of view, what would you say holds people back in those and what what kind of tip or advice would you give them? For like starting in the travel industry or... Going after your, yeah, or, following that photography or even that filmmaking, I feel like filmmaking has so much more friction than just photography mm-hmm. because... Yeah, filmmaking is definitely a bigger undertaking just because it's takes a lot more effort. Yeah. What advice? I think there's always some kind of barrier to entry where whether it's a mental barrier yeah. or a physical barrier, it's always like, oh, I'm not going to have time to do that. Oh, I would never be able yeah. to do that. Or, oh, I don't know how to use a camera well enough to do that. Yeah. It's like if you've got a really cool idea or something, some of the best films like it doesn't matter what the video quality is at all True. if the story's there it's going to be amazing to watch yeah and if you know how to tell it just from like if the story is strong enough it yeah it doesn't matter what the filming is but that is not the best advice i think well that's one i don't know i think that's maybe one as one piece of advice but i don't know i'm not would you start, old, let's, so. let's try let's try like that would you start with a small project or would yeah, you actually definitely. commit to something bigger because then you're more committed in the way. No, do not no. commit to something huge at first. Okay. Yeah. Start small because that's going to be where you see the biggest progress. Okay. And by uh-huh. seeing progress, that's how you're going to get more stoked on it. You're not yeah. going to get burnt out and you're going to just keep, you're going to stay interested in it mm-hmm. if you can see progress. It's like okay. going to the gym. If you go to the gym for three months, you see no pro- progress. You're not going to want to keep going to the gym, but you start to make three months. That's already good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you start seeing progress, you're yeah. going to want to keep going. So start small and that allows you to kind of keep building off these smaller projects. So yeah. like what I'm doing this year, try to make six short films in this three minute window. So maybe next year I can start making like a 15 minute short film yeah. or something like that. So starting small and then really mastering your craft with that Mm -hmm. small, those small projects, whether that's photography or video or whatever it is. And then you can start building on those skills and take them to these bigger projects that you might have down the road. So for example, in 15, 20 years, one day I want to make Brain Maker again, but with like $20 million budget or something and like a full feature length film of it, I think would be really cool. But 
before that, I have so much that I need to figure out how to do before I just go look for $20 million to make a film. That's true. 20,000 the first time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that was one element. Start small. I noticed this a lot with people, especially on social media. They want to get from picking up a camera to making a bunch of money and traveling. Yeah. They don't really see how many hours you need to put in to actually getting good at photography. Yeah. Like I've been doing this since I was like 12 years old, taking yeah. photos. And like my 60 that I had, the shutter eventually shattered because I took wow. photos on it. And so I looked at the shutter count on it and it was like, it's like 500,000 or something. Whoa. Which is way beyond what they have. Yeah. <laughs> so I, but I did the math. I was taking like 400 photos a day for three years or something. Mm -hmm. And and that's not with A1's burst. No, it's <laughs> not with burst mode. So that's like, that's a lot of photos. Yeah. And that's pretty much practicing every single day. Yeah. And that was only my first camera. And I've had like five cameras since then. Yeah. And so that is kind of the amount of work you got to put in if you want to actually succeed at this mm -hmm. or if you want to stand out and like, you got to have that drive. You have to have the passion. Otherwise, yes. you're not going to get all the way there. Some of it might be talent, but it's all, it's definitely mostly hard work. And just like talent comes after 10 years. Yeah. Talent, yeah, talent comes after 10 years of hard work. There you go. <laughs> every that's, time, a good, that's a good quote. I mean, every time someone's like, oh, you're so talented. I'm like, uh, I don't think you saw how much I worked on that. Yeah, exactly. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. totally. Overnight, bro. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Okay. There's like a million direction I would love to go deeper. We'll, we'll do a round two, 100%, because just the story of your family and, and I feel like your parents, you were saying that the mm -hmm. backpack, your grandparents were backpacking with your parents. Yeah. I feel like this just also like run through your blood. And like, yeah, my blood. parents a lot. My parents are definitely very supportive of it all and very like we're very similar so yeah. like my mom she was born in zambia because my grandparents were backpacking through africa in the 1960s that's crazy and then my mom like when my mom was 18 my grandparents took her and her two younger brothers backpacking through india for like six or nine months or something wow. in 1980 which is like they said it was they're the only white people in the entire i can't imagine so it was a completely different world. And then they went backpacking through Asia and all this other, all these other places. And then my dad, his parents died when he was in his early twenties and yeah. he took that inheritance money and, and went backpacking and <laughs> traveled a whole bunch. And, and then when my parents met each other, they bought a Westphalia, a camper van yeah. and lived the van life for couple of years before it was trendy, before it was trendy. <laughs> they drove to Alaska, they did all sorts of things like that. They were very, very traveler oriented people. Do you feel a bit more hardcore than you? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm getting there. You're getting there. My grandparents though, they are hardcore. Like, so I went part of that trip in Mexico that I did very yeah. first trip was my grandparents. I was with them. Mm -hmm. And so we were backpacking together through Mexico. And they'd like get an Airbnb that was in some shed, like in the back of some field of some place in Mexico and just be totally chilling. And I'd be like, oh my God, like, <laughs> what are we doing? I need a hotel. But so they're, yeah, they're, they're not like crazy travelers. And now they look at all the places that I go 
Yeah. And they're like, oh, how's Japan? And then they'll book a flight to Japan. And oh, and then so that's like, amazing. I like love that. Testing all these places for them now. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. Uh, I meant we, we have to wrap up. It's totally dark now. Yeah. But thanks a lot for sharing. I, I w- definitely want to dig deeper uh, on a lot of things. I think it's fascinating just to warn how you grew up and, and like how it's influencing the work you're doing now. If if you guys have not seen any of Emmett Short, absolutely go watch it. There are three we made while we're in uh, French Polynesia that you and Chelsea made. One last question before we wrap up. Do you have a tip for people who want to write a script? Like, do you write it on, do you have a so- software? Or do you have a way notebook? Like what, what do you use? Yeah, I'll give you a rundown of how I make a three minute film. Okay. Cause this is how, cause. You can't just write a script and then go make a movie. Yeah. There's a little more that goes into it. So I'll start off with a rough concept. Yeah. Like just a brief sentence of what I want the film to be about. And then if it's a, let's say it's a narrative film. So I'll write a narrative and then I'll time myself reading it. So Mm -hmm. I try and make sure I hit that three minute mark. Yeah. And then I go through each line of the narrative and figure out, just visualize shots that could go with each line of the narrative. And they're just like really like obscure shots that aren't set in stone. It's just yeah. kind of like a shot of Josiah slowly floating down in the water. Yeah. It's like that can be shot anywhere. You just need some water that's yeah. clear enough to see him or something. So pretty ambiguous shots that are easy to get. And then that's kind of your shot list and with your narrative. And you go out and you try and shoot it. Yeah. And you try and get all these different shots and then you try and piece it together. And then obviously while you're shooting, you're going to get better stuff that you didn't plan for. Yeah. So that helps to take the film to the next step. And then from there, you, the editing is super easy because yeah. you have your script next to you and you just plug in all the footage of each mm-hmm. shot that you've written for each line of the narrative. Yeah. So you record the narrative first, you have the narrative there. Then for each line of the narrative, you just plug in all the footage and editing becomes so much easier. Yeah. So that's a narrative film and then more fictional film with like dialogue and a different yeah. style like that, like Voyager, for example, that one, I wrote it in pages. Mm-hmm. I just downloaded a template for a script, like script template or whatever. So yeah. it could be more of the traditional movie script format, which just yeah. really lays it out really clearly of how to write a script or keep it in that format. And then I basically just wrote it and then read it back to yourself. Make sure the dialogue sounds like actual dialogue. Yeah. Cause that's something that is so obvious when it's written dialogue. Yeah. When you read it back, it doesn't always sound like actual yeah. people talking to each other. Like people interrupt each other. They stutter, they have yeah. these gaps in their sentences, whereas Sometimes the dialogue sounds absolutely perfect. Pierre. Like absolutely, I met yesterday. I was at the shop. Oh, what kind of shop were you at? It was the shop that was on Fourth Street. Oh, my favorite shop on Fourth. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it just sounds robotic. So you want to read it back, make sure it sounds real, and then come up with a storyboard. Really, really helps. Yeah. So, I'll like for those fictional films, I'll actually storyboard it, and then just try and stick to that storyboard with the actual script mm-hmm. in my hand. So you have the shot list, you have the storyboard and you have the actual script okay. on set with you while you're shooting it. And then 
that makes it so you don't miss anything and there's no holes because yeah. it's so bad when you get to editing and you've missed a shot and you're just like, oh no, <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Exactly. So that's pretty much how I write the two different styles of films. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Everyone, please go check out Emmett on Instagram at Emmett underscore Sparling. Emmett underscore Sparling. Link is in the show notes to all the shorts and to more infos about Emmett and his work. Emmett, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. And on to the next trip. Yeah. <laughs>